Hello and welcome to The Graveyard Shift, the weekly horror podcast where we take listener and guest-suggested movies and break them down into the good, the bad, and anything else we find fun and or relevant. My name is Mike, and I never work The Graveyard Shift alone. Please welcome the woman who probably wouldn't turn down an eternity of living beside Eddie Murphy, Mackie. <laughs> Hi, and no, you're right, I wouldn't. That was bold of her. We are in part two of our first Black History Month, and boy, it is going along pretty damn good. We've had some pretty... I think they're all hits so far. Yes. So... I'd have to agree. What Eddie Murphy movie are we talking about? The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Nope. <laughs> we are watching... Today's episode is The Rise of Julius Jones, because we watched A Vampire in Brooklyn. Yes, and let me tell you, I watched this um, as a kid, obviously, like a lot of these that I watched started off watching as a kid, and it hits definitely differently when uh, as you get older. It was a lot of fun to rewatch it, actually, recently. I was a little worried, because I remember seeing this the first time, and I wasn't that impressed with it, and I wanted to do Blackula, but you're like, Vampire in Brooklyn, and I'm like... <laughs> Okay, I doubt it holds up, and you know what? It holds up, so I'm eating my words. Yay! <laughs> to a bit. I mean, like there's, there's, there's still some shortcomings, but I, I you know, it's, I do, I did have a favorable experience overall. Don't get me wrong; it's got loads of shortcomings. Loads. The whole time I was watching it, I was, I was, I was having to hold back on picking at it a lot. Um, like, this is Eddie Murphy. Remember Raw Delirious? How did it? Yeah. How did it, how did it lead to this? I had to. Oh my god! I really had to just sit and enjoy it for what it is because it's one of those movies. <laughs> yeah. So it was directed by Wes Craven, based on a screenplay by Charles Charles Murphy. Or as we remember from Chappelle's show, Charlie Murphy! Charlie Murphy! Yes. Michael Lucker and Chris Parker. Based on a story by Eddie and Charles Murphy and Vernon Lynch. Produced by Eddie Murphy and Mark Lipsky. Based on, with cinematography by Mark Irwin. Edited by Patrick Lussier. Music by J. Peter Robinson. Produced by Eddie Murphy Productions. Do you know any other, any other Eddie Murphy Productions movies? Absolutely not. I actually didn't even realize he had an Eddie Murphy's Eddie Murphy Productions, to be honest with you, which feels naive for me to say, but... <laughs> Probably the only way this movie got made. Touche. Yeah. Re released October 27th, 1995. So, a Halloween release. Yes. With a runtime of 102 minutes, a budget of $14 million and a box office of 35 It so, did pretty well. It's an okay return, but I think like like twenty nine million of that was people saying like it's an Eddie Murphy movie. Remember coming to America? Come <laughs> yeah. on, yeah. How it, can, it can't be bad. This guy can do no wrong. You know we did we didn't have Pluto Nash. We didn't have fuck. What other movies did he do that was terrible? Uh, Dave. He, you know this was before. That. Oh my god, I forgot all about Dave. <laughs> Norbit. Yeah. This was before Norbit. Oh, you know, the, this was back when Eddie Murphy, this is back when we remembered him as Buckwheat on SNL. This is coming to America. This is the Eddie Murphy we remembered. Like, you mm -hmm. know, we, we were so naive. Oh, honestly. We I, thought I, he honestly, was too big like, to fail. Yeah, he. this was Eddie Murphy 
being like Eddie Murphy, like honestly, he was dominating in the 90s when it comes to, um, you know, black cinema and, you know, especially in comedy as well. He was this was like he was in his glory days around here. (laughs) Well, this this was this was like the this was the 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 dusk of the glory days. This was the dusk of the glory. Yeah, absolutely. So it started Eddie Murphy as Maximilian. Preacher Polly and Guido. And you know, whenever Eddie Murphy, whenever a movie stars Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy, you can just, <laughs> you can just feel with every new Eddie Murphy character, your expectations just sink in your chest along with your heart. Hmm. We have Angela Bassett as Detective Rita Vetter. Hmm. Alan mm-hmm. Payne as Detective Justice. I mean, come the fuck on. <laughs> that, that name survived the second draft. <laughs> Kadeem Hardison as Julius Jones. Woo, Dwayne Wade. Sorry. John Witherspoon, fucking grandpa. Yes, as rest Silas in Green. Peace. Uh, rest in peace, King. He was fuck. You know, I only recently discovered him because of like being granddad and uh, on Black Jesus. Have hmm. you ever seen that show? No. Okay, Black Jesus is a comp. It- it was. It only lasted three seasons. It had John Witherspoon and Charlie Murphy in it, and it was produced by Aaron Magruder from the Boondocks and Mike Clattenburg from the Trailer Park Boys. What? Yep. As and it had Gerald Slink Johnson as Jesus Christ reincarnated as a black man, and it's just him in the hood. Trying to keep uh, trying to keep the locals on the straight and narrow. Oh while, my god! You know, it, well, you know, trying to keep the peace. Right. It's I fucking loved every episode of it. It was fantastic. It had heart. It had it. It had like you know, for the absolute lunacy of the concept, it had like a realism and a sense of community and and love in it. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you've seen Trailer Park Boys, like yeah, they're rowdy, yes. they get into a lot of shit, but you know, there is love. In, lots in there, love. there's heart, and that same heart came out in this, as well as speaking to like black issues. So you know what? It, it was three seasons. I think like after losing, you know, they lost Charlie Murphy at the end mm-hmm. of season two. So then like uh, John Witherspoon took the part as like the antagonist, but then he's gone. So you know, I don't. There was just no point in a in a fourth season. Like you no. know, a good antagonist carries a show. Yeah, absolutely. So, this movie had a Rotten Tomato score of 12%. (laughs) So, uh, let's uh, get on with the movie trivia, and then we will talk about the the black history portion of this show, because, you know, we we had some, uh, we had got some movies and stuff, and uh, events to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Well... Well, this is, uh, I mean, I guess I'll go ahead and just mention the fact that, which I didn't know this, but uh, this is, this was Eddie's, well, I didn't know, when you're looking up stuff and whatever, I didn't realize that this is actually, in fact, the first time that Eddie Murphy played a villain um, in anything, and um, this is the first time a character of his had died. So, I don't know, I find that interesting because there are some actors and actresses that actually have clauses in their contracts where, you know, no death you know, permitted for their characters or whatever. So um, is this a, a situation where I felt like he kind of put his ego aside 
you know, because he's so used to being the adored main character, right? So, um, so I think that was kind of a big deal. Um, and he did say that he stated, you know, during a Rolling Stone interview that uh, he only made this movie for one reason. Um, and Paramount had a, his whole thing with Paramount. That's like a whole thing. But Paramount agreed to release the Nutty Professor, you know, in 1996. Um, writes in exchange for finishing his deal with the studio. So I feel like he kind of just did this for the sake of doing it to uphold, you know, some sort of contractual obligations which you know kind of i was like oh you know that sucks that explains the quality of the script yeah so that's what i was thinking we'll get into some of that stuff too as well this was a spite Um, movie it was a spite movie (laughs) oh my god but with that said it's his last film with paramount productions um so he did actually want to have jada pinkett smith play rita vetter um but she had turned the role down but of course we would later see them together in the nutty professor um, so I guess that's kind of like his way of making up for that. Um, you know, and during the opening narration, um, we do have a narration from Maximilian and he indirectly references the character of Dracula. Um, when he talks about how Nosferatu were originally from Egypt, but were expelled thousands of years ago. And many of the vampires, uh, relocated to the Carpathian mountains in Eastern Europe. So it kind of doubled as somewhat of like, uh, you know, Hey, take that kind of thing and you know he kind of smugly mentions that others of better taste including myself settled in a part of the caribbean known as the bermuda triangle and dracula lived in the carpathian mountains of transylvania so kind of you know he kind of threw something in there for people to think about whether they did or not that's you know i feel like that's neither here nor there africa the cradle of life and the cradle of death yeah and um, this is the second Wes uh, Craven film um, that uh, Zakes Moke uh, had starred in. And the uh, people would, if you recognize his name, he was um, in The Serpent and the Rainbow uh, in 1988. So I thought that was interesting because when I was watch- doing my rewatch, I was like, why does he look so familiar? But yes, so Wes Craven uh, nabbed him again for uh, to be included in this. Um, Kadeem Hardison, Dwayne Wayne from a different world. He was also in the Cosby show, Living Single, Girlfriends. He was also in the Boondocks, um, as, as, uh, voice for voice acting. And he was was personally, yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, Do you know who he was in the Boondocks? Nope. (laughs) Absolutely not. But, um, he was actually personally picked by Eddie Murphy to play the role, uh, role of Julius. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And this is actually Wes Craven's 12th film. And I was just kind of like, man, he really had a whole lot under his belt before uh, before this, actually. Um, and the filming lasted only 55 days. So that also explains some things. It was definitely like a rush job. Uh, three of which were spent on location in New York City and the rest were spent in Los Angeles. And... Um, Yes, out of all the films that Eddie Murphy has done with prosthetic makeup, this is the only film where he wears contact lenses, which there's actually a little bit of a fun fact about that. They had to, there was speculation that Eddie was using um, nothing serious, just smoking some weed <laughs> while on set and whatever, because... Can that even be considered using? No, no. But I <laughs> that's, mean, like... That's fact- partaking. Back, yeah, back back then, though, you know, 
it's that's a whole different situation, right? But they had to they had to resize his lenses, and they couldn't understand why, um, because it was almost like you know from you know eyes drying out, swelling up, and whatever. Um, his custom fitted contacts were having issues with fitting, and they suspected that that was um, a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, also something that Wes Craven um, liked to do a lot of, he. Rita, uh, our main character here, she experiences a lot of se- uh, scenes where she's having flashbacks uh, from traumatic events and dreams and things like that, which uh, Wes is, that's something that he likes to do a lot in his films, um, which he did in like in Nightmare on Elm Street, The Serpent and the Rainbow, and Cursed, um, respectively. Also, like she to explore the theme of nightmares being linked to reality through trauma, which is a very real thing. So that's something that he definitely uh, kept a theme on with his with his style in there. And you know, according to Charlie Murphy, again, rest in peace. The movie was originally going to be a straight horror movie, um, which Eddie and Charlie are horror fans, so respect to them. Um, but they wanted to have a. a honest to goodness shot at just having a straight up horror movie with no comedy in it whatsoever but Wes Craven really really wanted to implement um Eddie's comedic talents into it which I'm so glad so glad that they did that um and you know like my own kind of thought here I think it's interesting because it's it sounds like Wes and Eddie both really respected one another so much so where they I don't want to say that they were butting heads during production, but they did kind of fight against certain ideas. And this was a, a big one that they seemed to, to have. Um, but thankfully, you know, Eddie, you know, uh, took Wes's lead. Whether he agrees with that still to this day is, uh, you know, up for debate. But anyways, you know, he had said that Maximilian wasn't going to have any redeeming qualities. But, you know, Wes taught us that we get the audience to care about our characters, which is true. And even if they didn't know any vampires personally, they would at least have to identify with the type of person that he was. And, uh, you know, there's um, a woman named Stephanie Williams from Sci-Fi Wire who considers the movie a spooky time favorite and praised Angela Bassett's performances. The humor, especially from Kadeem Hardison, He's just fantastic. He's just brilliant, too. And John Witherspoon. And I love Kadeem and John's banter back and forth. I, I loved those two in the movie. And adds that infusing Caribbean culture into the traditional vampire lore was an excellent choice for obvious reasons, which I really, really appreciated. That movie is rich with culture, like especially Max's, um, you know, quote unquote apartment. It's just and and the scenery, like in the, in the bar and everything like that. It's just so rich with Caribbean culture. So I really love that. Um, but yeah, and Eddie wanted to work with Wes in the first place because he's a big fan of his movies, um, specifically The Last House on the Left and The Serpent in the Rainbow and The People Under the Stairs. Um, and during an interview with the AV Club, John Witherspoon stated that Vampire in Brooklyn was one of his favorite movies. And he says that, you know, I had a chance to holler and scream. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, about Wes Craven, he said Wes, you know, and I in quotes here, Wes Craven, oh my God, he's funny. He's hilarious. But so they let me ad lib. But the worst thing about ad libbing is that when you shoot it again, you don't remember what you said. So he would take notes and tell me what I said. <laughs> and I said, I said, what? <laughs> so there's so many lines that you say and you forgot that you said anything and you're just ad libbing. You're not committing it to memory. So it was kind of difficult working with him because he shot a lot of scenes, you know. 
instead of shooting one scene and get the genius of it, he'd shoot it from different angles. So now I got to think about what I said. He said I had a, he said, um, he had a little pencil and he wrote it down. He came up to me and said, I want you to see that again. That was so funny. <laughs> that was kind of a difficult movie, but by the end of it, I stuck with the script. And, um, we have some tragedy too, unfortunately, on the scene. But uh, Sonia Davis, who was Angela Bassett's stunt double for the movie, she had um, unfortunately died um, on set, and also unfortunately in front of her mother, her, her her mother and her siblings as well. That they were on set, I'd imagine, you know, as support and just, you know, wow. they were also recording on scene, just I guess for their own personal keepsakes to have uh, while they were watching her work and. So unfortunately, they got that on, on film, and it was performing a forty foot or forty two foot drop, and it was supposed to be it was a backwards fall. Now she was instructed to just allow herself to free fall and not push off against the ledge. Unfortunately, she did, um, and she missed the landing balloon by just enough to crack her head against the back of the uh, against the wall just behind it. Um, yeah, so she was rushed to emergency and was in a coma for about two weeks until her body ultimately succumbed to the damage that she received. So that really sucks. Um, so that, yeah, that's a bummer that happened. R.I.P. Sonia. Yeah, R.I.P. Sonia. Um, and in an interview in November 2011 with Rolling Stone, Eddie stated that, you know, he had, again, like I mentioned, agreed to make the movie for one reason. Paramount agreed to release The Nutty Professor, which was released in 1996, um, in exchange for finishing his deal with the studio. So Murphy had also said that, I don't know why he picked on this, but the wig his character wore was so <laughs> awful. It immediately, which it was, it immediately made people despise the film. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Murphy gave a reason Vampire in Brooklyn was a failure. The only way I was, and in quote, the only way I was able to do the Naughty Professor to get it out of my Paramount was to get out of my Paramount deal. I had to do Vampire in Brooklyn, but you know what ruined the movie? The wig. I walked out in that long-haired wig, and people said, "Oh, get the fuck out of here! What the hell is this?" <laughs> <laughs> he did look like he was trying to do like a little uh, super was, freak shit. Going oh <laughs> God, the wig was so bad. And um, last, you know, lastly for some trivia here. Charles Pulliam, more from Gizmodo, touted Vampire in Brooklyn as one of the most underrated horror movies of all time. I agree. Vampire in Brooklyn, and in quote, Vampire in Brooklyn isn't just funny and a scary film. It's also an important one. Vampire lore is a living, breathing thing that's in a constant state of reimagination and evolution and different storytellers develop new ideas. Vampire in Brooklyn bucks that trend both by centering a predominantly black cast of characters and infusing its spin on the vampire mythos with elements of West Indian zombie lore. Those elements, combined with Murphy's very distinct comedic vision, set Vampire in Brooklyn apart from its peers, making it one of the most unique films in its genre and one of the best. And I agree. I hate so much that Eddie considered this to be a failure. That really bums me out because it's just... It's just as far as I'm concerned, it's just an overall really fun movie. But anyway, that's what we got for some well, trivia. It seems to have like conflicting energies. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it could be good if it was serious or it could be good if it was funny. Mm -hmm. But then it's like in this weird twilight in between where it, like sometimes it commits like to the wrong humor. Like Eddie Murphy's like, right. you know, I'm in 
where Eddie Murphy basically does like a Robin Williams impression, but if Robin Williams had the makeup to match the voice. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you, you, those impressions may do great in stand-up, but seeing them for like five, six, ten minutes straight in a movie when you're like, you're supposed to be someone else right now. It's Yeah, uh, I guess that's like, a good point. You're, like you're supposed to be, a, if you're a serious vampire, why are you a fucking clown now? I, see, that's the one thing for sure that, see, that's it's so. Like the energy is just, pick a lane and stick with it because you're both great. Like Wes Craven does great comedy with like Freddie and all that. Eddie Murphy yeah. does great comedy <laughs> yeah. as, you know, Eddie Murphy with Coming to America and all that shit. But it's different energies of comedy with mm -hmm. different timings. And it just, you know, I think that's where the clash came in because Maximilian is definitely on the serious side, right? A yeah, murdering bastard, and like Max is the serious character in a wacky world, but then he yeah. gets wacky too. Yeah, so the preacher like, scene. What? But we're not in that section yet. We're not. We're not. We haven't even got to the goods yet. So why am I no, talking bad? No, we have bad? not. Uh, so now we can talk about. Black history from a white person, so you know it's certified. No, mm. I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> you know, you know. I'll just say this: like, you know, if anyone wonders, like, why am I talking about Black history? Well, because Black history is history, so anybody can read it and anybody can share what they've learned. I'm not speaking for anybody. I'm not representing anybody. I'm just sharing this amazing stuff with a story that I have found in my research. So, as a fan of movies. And as a fan of history, that's my qualification. I represent only myself. I am so ready for this. I'm so, ready. The 40s and the 50s did feature, of course, black people in horror films. But it was still white people running the show in front of and behind the camera. Now, this is necessary to discuss as media as a whole is always representative of its time. You watch enough movies and you get an idea of like what people wore, what they, you know, what motivated them or what they fear. Like you watch movies mm -hmm. from the 80s and you'll see stuff like everyone's talking about the Russians. Whenever it's terrorists, it's the Russians. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> because, you know, it represented yeah. a real fear, the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. So what is allowed in a film or stuff that's considered taboo and what's removed also shows the prevailing sensibilities of the day. And, you know, knowing the history of how black people were treated in America is reflective of how they are appearing in media. Yeah. And horror is no exception. Absolutely not. Now, we will continue with black horror portrayals in the 40s and 50s, as the only black production we found was Spencer Williams making The Blood of Jesus, which is not a horror, but it does have some supernatural elements, like a dying Baptist woman has the devil trying to claim her soul. Apparently, that's what she gets from marrying an atheist that didn't take a firearm safety class. It, it also speaks to the culture of depression era, black rural society, how it always like attached itself to conservative moralizing. Which is scary for the history angle, considering how well rural conservatives treat good black people anyway. Even going so far as to try to nullify their votes in 2020 because they couldn't believe that many people voted. And also, 
If you think, oh, that didn't happen, well, it did happen before because rural conservatives did nullify black votes with a successful insurrection in 1898 in Wilmington. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but look it up if you want to know why January 6th was not the first attempt at a racially motivated coup. It was just the one that failed. Now, in Wilmington in South Carolina, that coup resulted in up to 300 dead black people and 2,000 displaced black citizens so that they could not vote in that district to get another integrated administration. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, I don't get political... Just remember, others do. And if good people don't get political, then only bad people get political, and that's when a terrible price gets paid, and history is filled with those examples. Yeah. But back to fictional horror. Yes, back to fictional horror. (laughs) Oh, wait, history first. 1940 also saw the release of Boys of the City, 1940, featuring the East Side Kids, who would later become the Bowery Boys. But the exception is that the East End Kids had a character the Bowery Boys didn't. A black friend, a boy named Scruno, played by Ernest Morrison, who basically played to all the racist jokes of the time. Like when someone gets car exhaust on their face, someone say, "Hey!" Mm. Someone would say, "Hey, look! It's Scruno's uncle." Oh, oh God! But in this particular <laughs> film, Scruno plays to so many uh, archetypes. He is scared of a spooky mansion where he actually explains and and you know I have to say this like I'm sorry, but I am going to say the line. Man, I sure do miss that old plantation. <laughs> And when the kids are served dinner, guess what's on his plate? Don't tell me. It ain't fried chicken. I was going to... That was going to be my guess. (laughs) It's watermelon. (laughs) Oh, okay. That would have been my second guess. The leader of the gang, Muggs, calls him boy and asks for water, to which he snaps at attention with a yes, sir. And the way he talks is, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. And at the end of the film, when they have a chocolate cake... Muggs tries to eat the slice out of Scruno's hand and bites him because he can't tell the difference between his skin and the cake. Oh, damn. And the NAACP eventually complained about this character, but instead of spending a fucking ounce of energy to fix him or improve the other people's treatment of him, they just wrote him out. So... Trying to make things better only resulted in this poor guy getting fired out of his one gig. Because why Uh, fix a problem when you can just deny it ever existed and erase the people involved? Yeah. Yeah, that seemed to be the default uh, method as far as, uh, you know, we can tell. (laughs) Then there was the precursor to Ghostbusters called Ghost Breakers from 1940, which featured Bob Hope and his boy. And he's referred to in the fucking trailer for the movie. Played by Willie Best. Are you serious? Yep. Unlike the East End kids, the worst part of Best's character isn't how Bob Hope treats him, but how he acts with his step and fetch it routine. Now, for those who are unaware of the character of step and fetch it, he was the original black actor who portrayed the racist caricatures of like, yes, sir, sorry, boss, and Mm feats don't fail me now. Which gets imitated by dozens of black performers or white people in blackface because... Let's face it, white producers made it clear that's the only way they would get hired. Right. You, yeah. you act this role, do this thing that we tell you to, or 
you know what, we'll find someone who will denigrate themselves. Yeah, and they typically would, you know. Well, what choice did they have? Exactly. They weren't going to rewrite the script for someone to act decent. Right. So typecasting was strong back then, and for black people, it was the worst kind. They weren't even people. They were just another culture's joke of a people. Yeah. But remember in America, it can always get worse. This 1940s movie was a remake of the lost film The Ghost Breaker 1922 with white actor Walter Hears as the manservant in blackface. But the black man's mother in this 40s film is white actress Virginia Brissack in blackface. Because remember, that's progress in America. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of the typical racial jokes like his own lines, something smells around here and it ain't fried chicken. And speak up, I can't hear you in the dark. While Bob Hope says harmless racist stuff, like he has to paint him white so he can find him in a blackout. Oh, oh, well, bless his heart. <laughs> harmless in quotes. Oh. Because it's not about a problem with him as, 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 as his race. It's just, you know, your skin makes you hard to see. Mm-hmm. You know what? Truer words have never been spoken. So, you know, we haven't even made it to 1941 yet. This is why Spencer Williams stood out in his movies that nobody remembered, but we do. And we have Hold That Ghost, 1941, where an unnamed black man dances in time with Ted Lewis, who's singing Me and My Shadow. Get it? Oh. Because he's his shadow. Because racism is funny. Holy shit. It also gets referenced in that movie where Abbott and Costello smear each other with oil and then mention they're a pair of shadows. Oh, God. Oh. Which, I mean, I guess it's not blackface if you're not pretending to be black people. You're just shadows. Hey, those loopholes. Uh, <laughs> whatever makes you feel better. Right. Now, there was, there was a shining light in 1941 with Invisible Ghost. Clarence Muse plays a butler to Bella Lugosi, and he is portrayed, surprisingly with class, self-respect, articulation, and even a little bit of sass. Because when he discovers a body, he doesn't say, oh, lordy, and tries to skedaddle away. When he does get flustered, he gets funny, where he's like, I feel pale. Do I look pale? <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. Sorry. I know. <laughs> You know, when we do another Black History Month, I want to do Invisible Ghost because this sounds like a really positive for the time. Yeah. And you know what? Positive overall. Fuck the asterisk. This just sounds like a positive representation of the time, which really stands out given that it's the 40s. Yes. Uh, Given the time. Yeah. Then there was King of the Zombies 1941 with Manton Moreland in a typical jittery spook manservant role. But this stands out because this guy was a comic master and he made the most of what he was allowed to portray. It was more comedy than horror, but it could have been worse. Then Topper Returns featuring Eddie Rochester Anderson. It's typical black scared manservant stuff. This continues on in the other 41 movies, so I'm going to skip ahead to 1942 now. 1942 gave us a black cast with Lucky Ghost with Manton Moreland and F.E. Miller as two guys that went a house turned into a casino. But they still played as stereotypes like chicken thievery, gambling, and running from ghosts. 
<sighs> a genius blogger called this the BET of its day. <laughs> <laughs> and the ghosts don't even, and the ghosts, I guess they're also black people, they don't like the jitterbugging, the driving, and the hullabalooing. Oh <laughs> so they prank everyone into leaving. Okay. If you want something that's going to make you feel bad, but probably yeah. chuckle while you're feeling terrible. Yeah. This seems like one to find if we can find it. The Vampire's Ghost, 1945. This has this actually has positive portrayals of African natives as fairly decent for the time, mm. and it shows white people as the fools that are in over their heads. So, 1945. Yep. Woo! I would love to cover this movie as well sometime. Not for any particular month, maybe just at all. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it gets mundane for the rest of the 40s, so let's just blast to the 50s. So, instead of listing them all, we can mention a few like Yambao, 1957, which, has a, which is a Mexi-Cuban production that covers voodoo and Santeria. But it's done in such a droll manner, it's pretty dull. But he did get an aerial award for cinematography. And the reason it's mentioned is because it does have black actors, but also some Latino characters in blackface. Because what? why should atrocities be limited to American cinema? Oh, damn. You know what? <laughs> you look at the Black Peter Festival in Germany, and you know, even Canada with our own prime minister as some weird dark genie, like... It's like he was cosplaying as a knockoff Mr. Popo from Dragon Ball. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, this movie sucks, so we're not going to cover it. Okay. I am so fucking glad that joke landed to you, because if I had to explain who Mr. Popo was, this no. podcast would have grown into a screeching halt. No, you do not have to explain. <laughs> No. Uh, I oh, feel sorry. so proud of myself right now. <laughs> oh my god, that was excellent. That was excellent. I'm so happy I got that too. Oh, my god. Anyways. So 1957 gave us Voodoo Woman, where white people are in the jungle and doing science. Just mm -hmm. to let you know what we're dealing with, here's a line from the movie. We're doing it, Chaka. White man's science and the black voodoo. So That's the, fucked. And the doctor mixing magic and medicine was played by Tom Conway. Now, the producer originally wanted Peter Lorre, who outright refused. Good for him. Mm-hmm. And Good that's job. why Peter Lorre's a fucking mensch. And the same producer nearly lost his relationship for this movie. Upon airing this piece of shit at its Burbank premiere, his wife got up and handed him back his engagement ring. It took his brother to smooth things over, and she ended up writing scripts for him. I guess this is amends, just to make mm -hmm. sure, he, just to make sure his name and possibly her last name doesn't get attached to his, to this fucking trash again. Oh my god, that's pretty real. That's that, that's as real as it gets. <laughs> god, this movie was so bad it made his woman put the pants on in the relationship. Wow, <laughs> and Woo! his business, right? <laughs> oh man, Bride and the Breast or Beast? Yeah, I, I that must have been a Freudian nip slip. 1958 is what if King Kong obeyed the laws of physics and achieved peak gorilla size, but was still into white girls? 
It's an unintentional comedy, and uh, I suggest rather than describing it, read about the blog post I found it from, which you'll hear about uh, at the end of this. There's there's tribal people in it. It's, well, better than the 40s. You know, progress with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. How to Make a Monster 1958 has a guy hypnotizing actors into becoming their roles. Now, this movie contains Pauline Myers as a black woman who witnesses a crime and reports it, being a pivotal role, and while she does play a maid, she doesn't sound like a maid or a mammy. Mm. And this was the same Sydney this was the same year Sidney Poitier got his Oscar nomination for the Defiant Ones. So progress slow, but it is happening. Also, also yeah. R.I.P. Sidney Poitier. R.I.P. The Monster from Green Hell. Not Green Hill. The black character, uh, 1958. The black characters are superstitious, infantile tribals that get eaten by giant bugs while getting insulted by the heroic white man played by Jim Davis, not the creator of Garfield. <laughs> That's so a good clarification to make, though. Yeah, this sounds like another unintentional comedy, and I'm done. But before I go, I just wanted to thank the blog BlackHorrorMovies.com. They compiled many of the trivia tidbits I found today, but I withheld a ton of the jokes that this guy had because he is. The, the, I'm assuming it's a man. Like this is my problem, my assumption. It the blog is really well researched. It's fucking funny. Go there. Contact them. Let them know the Graveyard Shift podcast sent him, sent you because even if I just get one li one extra listener, it'll make a difference. And yeah, I actually didn't even know that it, that existed, and uh, until you had shown it uh, shown it to me, and I was very blown away by it. Um, which obviously I'm going to be diving into that. Oh, it's so like, fun. Frequently, but uh, yeah, very well put together. So. Thank you very much for sh for exposing me to such excellent, excellent media. It's the only exposing I do on this show <laughs> to my get to my co-hosts and guests. <laughs> uh, so now we can get on with the actual movie. Uh, my first good. Ahoy, motherfucker! <laughs> right off the bat, I knew. Oh yeah. We're not getting John Witherspoon playing some role. We're getting John Witherspoon being John fucking Witherspoon. John Witherspoon. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I totally interrupted you. You have to. Uh, he, you, you can do a Kanye this once. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I hate to interrupt you, but John Witherspoon was the greatest comedian of all time. Oh my God. He, he's just fantastic. And um, one of the, one of the, my favorite uh, things that I learned about this, which, well, you know, if, if you're watching that and whatever, and you had you have watched Boomerang, which John Witherspoon also starred in with Eddie Murphy, when he runs into justice when he was looking for Rita after, um, which we'll get into that scene or whatever. But uh, basically, you know, justice is going. He's he's trying to see Rita. Rita is, you know, Rita and justice, their love interests. And, uh, you know, the night before Maximilian was with Rita and he can't find her she's not answering the door and whatever and john's sitting there on the stoop oh, playing by himself with some cards and oh my god I, oh i got the lines there <laughs> you know, I, I got all i got here is lines his nephew's rotting apart he's like you got dropsy yes, yes. <laughs> but when justice shows up <laughs> yeah. oh my god the lines i got it right here 
He's like, oh yeah, you talk, you're looking for girls? Oh man, no, I knew girls. I knew a girl named Latoya. We call her buttermilk because she had an ass like a pancake. <laughs> and then and then he's just like, no, I want to know like uh, like 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 uh, like who's in here. He goes like, oh yeah, the new tenant. He's pulling down high end booty. Yep. Bam, 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 bam. Chick this morning yep. walked out bow legged. Yeah, bowling it. Oh my god, I freaking fell out when he said that. And yeah, and the the bang, bang, bang was in reference to um his character that he did in Boomerang, um which yes, it was again another movie that he did with Eddie Murphy in uh, 1992. Oh my god! And if you had watched Boomerang and he did that, oh <laughs> yeah, it definitely would guaranteed send you. But yeah, that's I need to fill my John Witherspoon filmography out because. Again, I only remember uh, Boondocks, Black Jesus, and this. I, I never heard of Boomerang. I need to see it. Boomerang is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Uh, but yeah, wh- they 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 uh, pulled that reference from Boomerang, and, and I just thought it was oh, I thought fantastic, uh, fantastic. And at the end, when he gets attacked, he's like, "Bitch tried to suck me down like a forty a malt liquor." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did he say? When um when um uh, uh Maximilian when he pierced him with his nail right in the neck and to to feed Rita and what did he say oh, something God. about like his blood being dusty or something like that oh, oh man you don't want I can't me, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah you don't want me like I'm all blue oh God, <laughs> something about like his blood being full of uh, something like that I could be totally misquoting it I'd have to go back it's and something look, but, along those lines but he would have done he would have done it so much better God I, you, I, just I couldn't have way. written down all the lines we'd be here like. Un- Oh, we'd be at the hour mark before right. before we exhausted all the great lines and ad libs. This guy, did. the lines, the lines, the ad libs, the delivery. Oh. oh my god! But yeah, it's just he's just so just mint money, money, money. Oh god, that man, brilliant. Uh, one of my favorite lines that he did in the Boondocks was uh, the episode of uh, when Martin Luther King like uh, wake come wakes up out of his coma. And uh, they talk about Rosa Parks, and Grandpa's at the table like they laid her, they, they laid that bitch in state. They won't even lay me out at the Walmart parking lot. I was there at the march. I was on that bus. <laughs> they ain't gonna give me shit. <laughs> Just like um, slamming Rosa Parks, like I was there too, but she gets all the credit. Right? Like how? Like uh, for real? For real? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. What's your first good? My first good, oh god, um, I guess I definitely really, really appreciated the richness in, in culture. Um, even if you aren't like somebody that's familiar with Caribbean culture and things like that, the, they set up the scenery and 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 things like that, which which compelled you to be curious about where where things came from, right? And I really love that. The atmosphere, which I think um, we can give a shout out to Wes Craven for. So good at that, um, which I think Eddie wanted Wes to pull from, you know, the serpent in the rainbow and the people under the stairs and whatnot and incorporated that kind of same vibe into uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, which I think was done very well. Um, so I really, really loved that. Um the riches of culture and also, of course, the 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 shout outs to things like we were just talking about, like, you know, John Witherspoon shouting out with his bang, bang, bang quote from uh, Boomerang. And you really cannot deny Eddie's ability to 
I, I, I gotta say, out of out of all of the characters, like out of the characters he played, the Guido, <laughs> just freaking killed me. I don't know. He's just so fantastic in that. I actually even forgot it was him, even though that I I knew that it was him. I forgot it was him. I completely forgot it was him. I I just can't. I don't know. The man was so talented in that. Is 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 so talented in that respect that um, you know his his comedic timing. His ability to, you know, change into various different personalities that really fit the script and and the circumstances well. Um, even though considering the fact that, like we were talking about earlier, it's so strange because Maximilian's supposed to be like this very serious, uh, you know, well, he's a villain. Villain. He's, you know, so the fact that for me, you you really forgot about that fact when he slipped into those roles. So I really appreciated that. And um, shout out to Angela Bassett because that woman is is a complete goddess. And you know she spoke on the fact that before um, joining the project, she had she already had such high respect for Eddie and Wes Craven and and everything like that. And I'm sure that she was with Charlie Murphy as well. And she had, uh, you know, she had spoken on how she had such a hard time trying to hate Eddie, you know, uh, in character, right? And the fact that she really had to fight hard to realize that she had to be pissed off with this man. Um, but Angela, of course, she's just fan- she's just wonderful. And I, I love her and her presence in that movie, I think, um, also really made it. And just, the- yeah, I, I mean, like just the cast in general. Uh, you know, they, they, they there were some good picks, to put it mildly, and I gave more than one good at once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my next good is uh, a cheap effect, but it did the job. It was when uh, the shadow of the wolf becomes a man as he gets yeah. off the ship. It was yes. cheap, but, you know... Cheap doesn't always have to be, you know, like effective doesn't always have to mean expensive. Yeah, but for the time, like, to be honest, the effects were really well done, I thought. Um, Especially considering what, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, I just really have to say, like, for the time, um, the, an effect like that was really, I thought it was really smooth. That um, effect specifically. So, what's your next good? My next good were certain things like, okay, so when, you know, Julius was getting chased down, um, you know, by the, uh, by the mobsters. Um, <laughs> and um, after, you know, he had killed the one or whatever, and he's, he's facing Julius and, and whatnot, and he's, he starts picking at his teeth. And then what was it, like a, a tomato Flute, like he he picked out his teeth and he spat out like a piece of a tomato. I don't know. Like okay, whatever. Call it corny or whatever. I thought it was just fucking hilarious though. Was that and like in the alley or at the restaurant? In the alley, in the alleyway, right? Oh, that was and like he, Mitch Pelegi. It wasn't a I tomato. He uh, he pulled his heart out of his chest. No, 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 no. Not when he when Max took his uh his finger like his finger fang or whatever, and he's like, I have something in my teeth. And he goes and he starts to pick at his teeth like a like a toothpick or whatever, huh. and it looked like he it was supposed to, it looked like it meant that he was supposed to be like spitting out a piece of tomato, 
I guess it was his heart. Because he did, like, eat, he did, like, pull the heart out of his chest. I thought he took a bite out of it. It was the first guy. And then the second guy that he, he killed behind the car, it's who he picked the t- he picked out uh, of his tooth. I guess it might have been, like, blood or something, but... Yeah, it was good. That, that it was a chunk. Was, that scene was cool because it had Mitch Pelegi <laughs> from the fucking X Files as a goon. That, yeah, that see, was a that, twist. See, I didn't put that together. I did not put that together, so that didn't mean anything to me, unfortunately. No, the boss from the fucking X Files. That was cool. But yes, the first guy he pulled his heart out, and then the second guy. Uh, tried to run off and load his gun and whatnot, and then uh, Maximilian like pretty much devoured him on the other side of the car, right? And then came back to Julius and was trying to talk to Julius, and then he was like, "Hang on a second, I have something in my teeth." And then he, you know, his nails were nice and long, and he picked through his teeth, and <laughs> I don't know, it's like he spat out a piece of tomato, which is obviously supposed to be a, p- a piece of flesh, but he spat out a. It looked like it was. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was funny. My next good is fucking Kadeem Hardison. He was uh, yes. Uh, like when you when you can hold your own with John Witherspoon for yes. you know just mouthy fucking bang after bang after bang comedy beats like his oh. his fight at the beginning. Ava, everyone snores not while they fucking. <laughs> yeah. I not while they're fucking. Oh my god. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Yeah, and as a Renfield, he was just—he was just outrageous and like so mouthy. Even when, even when like Max is supposed to be like you know thinking and plotting, only mm-hmm. he would make him like yeah, like shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, shut Twice. the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, and um, I really their chemistry was was. Awesome. It was excellent. I lo- their chemistry was excellent. Um, there's moments too where you could tell, like uh, near the end of the movie, uh, when Rita wasn't well because she hadn't fed yet, and I, uh, I want to say Eddie Maximilian, but he's saying that we need to get the coffin and and you know basically get the fuck out of here and whatever. And he starts complaining about like you want to submit. You don't- she doesn't look too well. You really want to drag it and the- you know. And Max gives um gives him Julius that look and. <laughs> Like that that moment there, um, if you recall that moment, that exchange when they both looked at each other and then Julia was like, All right, well, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna grab that coffin and and it's just I don't know, it just moments like that. The movie is full of moments like that that is so great in their chemistry. Like you said, um, you know, Kadeem, he really held his own so well. And I can see why, you know, you can definitely see why Eddie um handpicked him specifically for it. Oh, yeah. So what is your next good? Um, My next good would be, to be honest, the fact that it was as concentrated as it was, because there's something that I'm going to say, but which would be in con, like, you know, would be contradictory to that uh, when we're going to get into the next segment. But um, I did kind of appreciate the pacing for for certain moments to happen the way that they did and uh like for example with what happened with uh with uh Rita's roommate Nikki you know and then you got scenes in there where uh uh Maximilian's writing the letter that Nikki supposedly like Nikki quote-unquote left for Rita you know about like girl you know I met this guy and whatever and we're gonna take off and we're gonna do this and whatever and 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 it's it's moments like that that um 
you know, that even though it seemed kind of rushed at the time as you're as you're watching it, it just I, I love how things like that um they made a point to throw elements like that into the movie to connect um everything that were supposed to be that were of of most greater importance, right? Because obviously that gets referenced later, but you know, I really appreciated them doing things like that and the way they did them. Okay. If that makes sense. Of course. Uh, my next good is, you know, I've got my faults with, you know, Eddie Murphy and in, in the makeup and all that, but the Preacher mm. Pauly sermon about how evil is good. Evil is good. You know, you know, that guy was cheating on his wife. He was getting some ass. But you know what? Ass is good. Ass is good. Ass is how you got here. <laughs> Yeah. Where would, As, could, would you be here if someone didn't get some ass? No. <laughs> the way the crowd's like, you know, he's right. No, that's true. No, he's right. <laughs> evil is good. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, they've got the crowd going, evil is good. good. Evil, evil is, good. is good. He's like, you can't have good without evil. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, the logic was pretty sound, really. <laughs> uh, and... You know, more more makeup stuff. Uh, his face when when he was in full vampire mode, a little fucking scary. If yeah, yes, it was scary. I struggle with whether or not that, that was a realistic kind of transformation. But then I also think about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. At this point, we're buying the hair. Okay, yes, that's true. If that's true. That's if true. we're on board for the hair. Don't don't mind me about that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Touche, you got me. Uh so what's your next good? Uh my next good just I I just love the I I love how the movie makes you feel. It's a lot of fun. Um I really can't deny that. The movie is a lot of fun. Um, you get your, you get a good dose of peril in there, right? And the, you, you feel the sense of urgency with things because through the whole time, like, you know, Maximilian's on a timeline. He needs to convince Rita that, you know, um, he's the love of his life within a 48 hour period and everything like that. So, um, but the, the fact that it was as much fun and also you kind of get like that good healthy dose of like, of stress, of, of, you know, you know, is he going to make it on time? Is Rita going to, you know, succumb to this is or, and whatever, even though maybe you might have an idea of how it's going to end because it's not that deep, really. But regardless, again, because this is a rewatch, right? And I'm just thinking of like, as I was rewatching it, I was still I was having a great fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> OK, like it's just I was having a great time. Um, I really can't pick on anything specifically. Like, I can't really, like, point anything out specifically as far as goods go because I feel like we kind of spoke about a lot of that already. Uh, uh, you know, just, like, especially as far as, as the casting went and 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 everything like that. So I think that as far as I'm concerned, uh, the overall feel is one of my favorite goods. Is one of my goods. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for me, uh, an overall good for me is the great score and the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The soundtrack. That's right. Yeah, that was just fun. It, it mm. was just a, it was just a good listen. Yeah. 
yeah, the soundtrack was really good. And they and the soundtrack fit the scenes very appropriately. I thought they did a really good, uh, great job with that, which I think adds added to the feel of things, right? As soundtracks for movies tend to do. That's what they're supposed to do. I feel like they definitely did that. And, you know, there was, um, what was it? When Rita was going for her date with Maximilian and, uh, you know, Justice was all like, hey, you know, is this going to go for pizza and whatever. There was a remix. Uh, oh, God. And I, I cannot recall for the life of me the name of the song. But, um, yeah, it uh, there was a remix there or a rendition of the song in there that, you know, uh, you know, I thought that was really good. It's something something different for people to hear at the time. My God, this would be more impactful if I knew what song it was. But <laughs> I remember at the time being all like, hey, this is like, you know, a different version of a of a very familiar song or whatever. And I think they and I, I really appreciated the fact that they put elements in there to keep things different. But they but they also wanted to give, you know, the black community um, you know, uh, things where they'd end up being all like, "Hey, it's this song from you know and this," but it sounds, you know, it's it's a it's a nice it's a nice remix that maybe they didn't even know existed and whatever. I really, you're definitely on point with the soundtrack. The soundtrack was really really wonderful. Yeah, well, the soundtrack we got here, I just looked it up. It's uh, "What a Man" by Salt and Pepper. Ah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. That's the one. Yes, <laughs> they, there was a rendition of that song in there when uh, she was going for her date. So that kind of gave me a moment, and I, you know, I had a moment. Oh, it was appreciated. They also did Superstition, performed by UB40. Mm, yes, they did. Was that in the club, I think? Uh, I can't see where. I just Can see. Perfect. Yes, it was. Superst- it was in the club. Superstition was being performed by in a club. Mm-hmm. And it was by Yay. Uh, yeah, UB40. Another one, they did two versions. Another one was uh, Carl Ross, Clive Ross, and Derek Debo Brown, and Carlton Davis, and Michael Hyde. With rap lyrics by Clive Ross, as well as No Woman, No Cry, performed by Hugh Mm, Massey. Yes, that was another one. Yeah, that was another one that came on. I was was having a good time with that. Yeah, excellent soundtrack. Pray by MC Hammer and Prince. I did not know MC Hammer and Prince made a fucking song. I did not until you just said so. <laughs> wow. wow. Oh my god. Just learn all kinds of things on this podcast. That's what hey, that's that this this podcast, I should I should change the tags on this to infotainment because it is you know, we're educational as well as getting you some chuckles. Well, for God's sakes, there's some things where I'm like, how did I not know that? I feel like I should know that, but Honestly, it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of really cool ins and outs about, um, you know, a lot that we learn about production that goes into these movies that, you know, how on earth would anyone, unless you're seeking that out, would, would know that, right? It's definitely infotainment. Yeah. And, uh, like, my final good is Julius coming up in the world. Yeah, he deserved that. He was a good he, Renfield. He, he deserved he was fucking that. Loyal. He did his yeah. job. He deserved mm-hmm. to get his due, and you know yeah. he did. <laughs> he definitely did, and he and he was he stayed he stayed true to his uncle. Yeah. No, we him thought that at worst, like he becomes a vampire, then he may attack his uncle. But no, no, no. Yeah. And it was it was a nice send off for those two. I really loved that. It was a really nice send, and you know that Julius was going to take care of his uncle. 
you know he was going to take care of him. Yeah. Look, his uncle's fine so, driving the limo. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he's driving it. He's still in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just regardless of anything, you're not going to sit there. He's going to flip out one time and he's going to he's going to kill his uncle. No. Those two are going to be ride or die. No. Letter and a stamp. Yeah, that was a really nice send off. I liked that. I mean, I could just imagine if he did, like, offer to turn his uncle into a vampire, he'd be like, am I going to be young? No. So you're going to make me old forever? That. Fuck that. Yeah, you just sit, sit absolutely. Well, I don't want no part of that. <laughs> I'll do what I have to you know, do You know what the good part time. about being old is? I'm going to die soon. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to put up with being this fucking decrepit shit. You, you think get I want to be like this for eternity? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. You get somebody else to drive this damn limo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spend eternity kicking the shit out of you. Oh, man. Yeah, those two. <laughs> that send-off was really, it was such a feel-good. Oh. I'm oh, no, feeling all misty over here. Oh, yeah, the good chemistry. Like you could feel like some like some familial love. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. They had the the chemistry was definitely there. So I think that really made it a huge difference as well. Although, like him not never noticing his his nephews like literally rotting to pieces. Okay, that's something that we're gonna get into the bads, right? Yeah, we're gonna get into okay. the bads, and you can get into your first bad. All right, so, okay, I guess we're going to roll off with that. Julius was a walking, talking, rotting corpse. I am stunned that that wasn't spoken about more in the movie. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess, like, I I mean, I guess the, the whole point is, like, to keep it moving. But, I mean, for God's sakes, this man, he lost his hand in front of people, no less, okay? He was shining the car, hand pulls off and whatever, and then he found like a mannequin hand to replace it. Um, his his he lost his ear. His he's getting all like grayed out. His his flesh was literally starting to hang off of him. His teeth were yellowing. Fall like actually his teeth never did fall out, did they? No. Uh, later on, he lost an eye. His uncle pulled an, his arm off of him. People were <laughs> just like, I just didn't understand how that wasn't more of a conversation. Well, <laughs> like, all the uncle noticed by was saying, you, did, got, you yeah. got dropsy. Yeah, but like, <laughs> you got dropsy. But I mean, like, for God's sakes, it's not like, it's not like um, Julius was just being tucked away somewhere. He was doing all of Maximilian's shit and everything. Nobody said what the hell is going on with this guy. I don't know. That's nitpicky, obviously. You know, for, oh no, it's for the, legit. Like, you, you never I, see, like, like, in Renfield, usually the Renfield loses their mind. This guy kept his mind, but he was kept losing his mind, everything yeah. else. Yeah, his whole body. His whole body. How does the guy just, serve to, you if he's falling to pieces? And then you're just and like, ah, oh, you're, impro- yes! you're improvising. You're, you're, you're a good ghoul. Like, I could just, yeah, I could just tie that up to um, Maximilian just being desperate and being like, well, I can't possibly find anybody else right now, so we're just going to have to make this work. Yeah, but no, like, not like offering him <laughs> anything to fix him. It's like, Nothing to by fix having him. my blood, you will eventually rot to pieces. I could not believe that there was no, like, how could he be? Okay, loyal Max is a ghoul, shitty fine. Boss. Max is a real shit boss. No benefits, no, no nothing. Like, he just... <laughs> you don't have a benefits package, you have a detriment package. I mean, for real, because supposing, okay, supposing Max's plan rolled out well and and Rita and him were able to take off and all this shit like that, at what point, because by the end of it, Julius was, come on. I can, When he asked Julius to, to move the coffin, I was like, how? His arms are going to fall off. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't understand this. But if, if this happens, like, by the time you get your happy ending, you take your woman back to the Caribbean, you're going to be taking Julius in a fucking lantern case for his head. Because that's all that's going to be left of him. It was just about that point. Okay, isn't his head about to fall off next? Guaranteed. I, I, I mean, I just, I just, I didn't understand that. That kind of, you know, that kind of bugged me, but, uh. uh, anyway. This is, uh, my first bad. How, why and how did he detonate a police dog? Yeah. At the beginning at the docks when he's trying to get on the ship, he looks at a dog, it explodes or like launches into the sky and into the drink because it was barking at him. And nobody says, holy shit, that dog flew Nothing. into the sky. What the fuck? Everybody, stop what you're doing. Something blew up a dog. Maybe someone's got a grenade. Something is yeah. going on here. This Nobody needs our did. attention. No. Nobody did a damn thing. No, There was one officer that made reference to the dog. Somebody should be holding the fucking dog. Did they get launched too? Or did he just be like, my partner just that was disappeared? So oh, that's going to go into my next bat, actually. Nobody lost their shit over this. Not one person this is some this is some Chucky shit again, <laughs> where cops see magic happening directly around them, and nobody mentions it. No, like cops are cops have magic blindness. Yeah, and for me, I'm just kind of like, if you're gonna do something like that in a movie and and for or for a scene or whatever, have some follow up with it. There has to be some sort of follow up with it because that I get pissed off when it feels like um, you know the audience. Their, like, their intelligence is being insulted. I, that That's just, like, a personal thing of mine. Yes, I can appreciate movies and things like that for what they are and enjoy them for what they are, but it's stuff like that where it's like, nobody said anything? You, at the, the next scene at the station <laughs> should have been, like, the cop, like inconsolable while it, like five of his partners are like around him like also like you know like get tearing up like getting some kleenex and they're just like i don't understand blue was so, blue was right in front of me and then like, <laughs> right then he washed up and he was like he was missing some piece i don't understand like it was on my watch i let my partner down and, like, yeah that yeah that wasn't a part of the investigation somebody should be missing that dog cops are supposed yeah. to be attached to their canine partners yeah that was fucked that whole scene was really fucked up, and I've, you know... Justice for Blue. I'm calling him Blue. I don't know what his real name is. Could be Comet, could be Beretta, I don't know. We're gonna call him Blue. Justice for Blue, because that was some bullshit. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> Blue's life mattered. <laughs> yes. Cheers. Um, which... On that, I also have uh, a bad that kind of goes with along the same lines. Like, I didn't understand how Maximilian was able to... Because remember in the in the precinct, right? When he was the Guido. And he he got his information, whatever. He was ready to fuck off. Um, I guess he... I just didn't understand the, 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 the tele, telepathy aspect of it. Because as far as... I've understood it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, as far as I understood it, um, you know, somebody of Dracula's stature, you had to have a particular connection, so to speak. Well, he could, he could with, look in your eyes and, like, not really, like, give you images, but he would, you would look into your eyes and he would, like, mesmerize you while he could get up and bite you, but not like he would, but, like, order you to do shit or command messages into your head. 
But and, but that's what, yeah, and he seemed to be able to do that a lot, which I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, trying to, what, being out of the element of it, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, they just need yeah. to do that because we don't know what horror movies. Along, we don't but, know what horror movies Eddie Murphy was a, fam- was a fan of, but vampires may not have been on that high on the list. Yeah, because for me, I was like, that's not, it. it's understandable for him to be able to take control of Rita. Right. Yeah, because there's already the like that that, that 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 destiny connection. Right, but the fact that he was able to just kind of, you know, because he had done it a few times, and then on top of that too, I was like, if he's gonna do it the one time, why wouldn't he have done that with like Justice later when Justice like you know rushed them uh, when he was trying to get ready to fuck off with Rita and whatnot? Why wouldn't he have at any other point? Um, done like you know the mind control aspect to just essentially get to his goal i i just didn't understand i just i didn't get the the whole picking and choosing of how that worked but you know it is what it is but yeah that when he uh was at the precinct and you know just whispered in his mind to the to the uh, i guess one of the female detectives in the precinct to attempt to kill one of the officers to cause a distraction i was like well how, why haven't you just been doing that <laughs> like you know, so it's stuff like that where, you know, okay, well, well we're just going to roll with it, I guess. Well, like, nobody's going to be at the police station because they're all, like, in the backyard, like, like, with, like, holding, uh, like, a little memorial for Blue. Right. And, by the way, how did nobody see Max standing there and not say, where the fuck did you come from? Because it's not like he was inconspicuous. Yeah. Who, he was a very this, conspicuous person. Who is this guy standing at a crime scene in front of our exploding dog? Yeah. Hashtag blues, dog. hashtag blues life matters. And they didn't recognize him later at the precinct? I don't know. Well, I think he was <laughs> at the time. No, no, no. He changed back oh, to him yeah, after. Well, nobody and nobody said a damn thing. Oh, yeah. And, and why do that when... Oh, yeah. So, yeah. my next bad. Uh, where would Nikki's body have to be for blood to be pouring out of a keyhole? <gasps> When she's that on was going to be my next one. She's on her back in a fucking bed. <laughs> that was my next one. <laughs> How is this blood getting there? What is the, like, what, what is this fucking That mechanism? was my next one. And it was just the keyhole, too. You're, not anything, on the floor. Blood should just be leaking the... out from under the floor. Blood going through the keyhole yep. would mean that the he's keyhole. trying to push her through the fucking keyhole. Yeah, that wasn't even. Like, mm-hmm. like a really aggressive Play-Doh fun factory. Yeah, that was so strange. And that was actually going to be my next bad, so it's, I don't know what to say for, for it's my utter next madness. one. That's mine. Yeah, that really. Oh, yeah. It's just really fucking bizarre and detrimental. If you compel anybody in your audience to become analytical, you fucked mm. up in a scene. Yeah, that's that's the thing too. It, it seems like they were very confused as how they wanted the audience to receive these things, right? So. I don't know. It was stuff like that where I was just like, through the keyhole, how? <laughs> that, they could have really just left that out. And it looked like donut jelly. It did. It did. It looked It looked like donut jelly. It was, the, to boot, not only was that whole like scenario just completely unrealistic and, uh, and, and I'm saying unrealistic and we're talking about, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just... Yeah, and on top of that, it didn't even look good. No. Oh, Lord. Now I'm starting to feel like, okay, I see what Evie was talking about, but anyway. Yeah, like <laughs> I said, like, it's like they're tr- 
they think it's funny, but like there's there's sensible funny and then there's stupid. There's it's just stupid stuff. There's funny yeah. and then there's just like fucking dumb silly shit. Yeah, you can tell where they just kind of threw things in for the sake of rather than um it needing to because it's it's again i guess it's like the back and forth between wes and eddie with uh whether or not max should be a serious role or a comedic role and you could you could see those um indecisions i guess you could say that that will go into my next bad but what's your next bad um oh god (sighs) so like you know eddie was right about like you know the makeup and things like that. There was a scene where he was talking to Rita and where that you could see the wig line. Okay. <laughs> you could see, no, you could see the wig line. Like you could see where, where like they, they didn't, they didn't blend. They didn't blend. They didn't do anything like that. And there was also a point too where like Rita, when she had cut her finger, uh, sorry, she got a cut in her finger because she almost got hit by the taxi. And Maximilian, of course, rushes and saves her and she cut her finger and she goes to lick her finger, uh, to, uh like took the blonde finger and whatnot. No, there's people out there. Uh, um, who but really, who, who like literally licks their wound? Like your mouth can have different bacteria in it than your finger would. Yeah, mouths are filthy. Uh, but the thing is, like, she ended up having red on her teeth. And in the same scene, too, you could see Eddie's um, must, uh, sorry, like, beard or whatever. You could see where the prosthetic was, right? And where they didn't, like, it was crinkly. <laughs> and as he as he's kept speaking, it just got worse. And I could not do anything else but zero in on on both of those things. And I was like, not one of them said something. Not one of them said something. Eddie didn't tell Angela, like you know, you're you you got red on your teeth, and it wasn't the lipstick. Okay, it was it was it whatever it is like that it. she licked off. It was supposed to be it, the blood from her finger, which like, you know, what are you doing? Are you drinking your blood? Because if you do, yeah. you did a bad job at it. Because you know, it's on your teeth, not. On your tongue. Yeah, but regardless, it was so, so very clearly there. And I and the whole time I was like, why didn't either of them communicate this to one another? I can probably understand from Angela's um, perspective because she had mentioned how much respect she has from, for Eddie. Maybe she didn't want to like come off like she's stepping on toes and being like, that doesn't quite look right or whatever. Maybe hoping that somebody through editing would say something or, you know, as they're going through scenes... But I mean, like, he couldn't even tell her that she had red on her teeth, even if it was just because of lipstick. I know that sounds so nitpicky, yeah. but for God's sakes, it was so obvious, though, which, which sucks. Sucks. I guess it's supposed to be blood, but how much blood are you sucking out of your finger? It was supposed to be blood for sure, but to me, I'm just kind of like, but blood wouldn't have just sat there on your teeth, no. though. It would lipstick, have, It would have yes. run. It would have diluted with the saliva. Lipstick right. stays. It doesn't dilute. Yeah, but it was supposed to be she kind of had like the blood still on her on her lip or whatever, yeah. and then and she was kind of like you know licking it off or we whatever. Know what, we know what they went for, right? Exactly. But we also know where they missed. Yeah, so that kind of thing kind of pissed me off. But my next bad is uh, you know Maximilian's a boring character. I mean, Blackula mm. had flair and presence. 
But but then he takes someone's face, which is not a vampire's power, and then he's allowed to be silly. I mean, Kadeem Hardison is funnier and more sensible in his funny than Eddie Murphy is. How does a world like that allow, be allowed to exist? I don't know. And that's just, it's, that's one of those things where I was kind of like, okay, I guess this is another situation where you have to take it with a grain of salt and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> this is clearly like two different energies in a tug of war. Mm-hmm. In, and in you can tell. The script. You could definitely tell, and, and through my research as well, learning um, the that kind of conflict. And, and then on top of that, we really can't forget about Charlie Murphy as well, who was actually the main uh, script writer for it. You could tell that there was different energies going going on, and um, but you could also tell that everybody respected one another uh, to the extent where they they really wanted to come together and, and at least put something together, right, um, without it being so much of a battle. And I think that's also why, which again, through my research, I learned that Eddie isolated himself a lot throughout this project. So things like that could have had... Yeah, probably uh, because of the conflict. Yeah, he didn't want to be disrespectful because they they admired Wes. And of course, you know, Wes admired, admired Eddie and Charlie and everything like that. In an effort to keep the peace, they avoided hashing out the, the, yes. the wrinkles. Yes, exactly. And in, and it shows. It definitely shows. Like, which I don't think is, is an issue if you don't do like a deep dive like we have uh uh uh, for the movie, but you could, with that knowledge intact, like you could tell that there was definitely a clashing of energy. Yeah. So, do you have any more bads? No. Okay, I've got my final bad. Does he die? Because when Maximilian uh, goes through his whole scene, we see a bat fly out the window. So hmm. he. Is he dead? Is he a bat? What the fuck? Or did it like transform what, into was some the, sort of... Was the bat... What was the bat if it's not Max? Huh. It's something they put in, just like the jelly donut through the keyhole. <laughs> you would do better not putting anything in there at all. And that would be like a net zero rather than an outright negative. Touche. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and now that you're mentioning it, I was like, there was a bat that flew off. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even catch that. Out the window. The same way that uh, his ring ends up falling into the limo. Because mm. the window has to mm -hmm. be shattered so that the ring can fall into the limo and Julius finds it. Mm -hmm. But as the window explodes, a bat flies out into the sky. I didn't even catch that. I did not even catch that. Mm. So it's well, just yeah, that's a good then. question. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, I mean, for God's sakes, there's certain things that, like, uh, probably had I had watched it, like, a, another time, I would have picked up on that. But, uh, yeah, I didn't even realize. That's a very good observation, Ralphie. <laughs> so, hmm. uh, now we'll take it to the what the fucks. Do you have any what the fucks? I feel like we covered the what the fucks. Well. If I'm being perfectly honest. There's one we <laughs> Unless didn't. Unless you have any specifically. There's one that we didn't. All right, give her. Now, the cross is supposed to burn the vampire. But when he takes yes. it off her, 
he grabs the cross and rips it off. Like, um, is this supposed to stop you or not? Because you didn't get stopped. And mm. if this cross did its fucking job, he should have been able to undo the clasp on the back. Because it wouldn't yeah, be the chain. How did she not? It wouldn't be the chain repelling you, just the cross. But that's the thing he right. grabs. It's like stopping a knife attack by grabbing the blade instead of the arm holding it. That's a good point. It didn't affect him at all. But the thing is, she uh, Rita ended up having a, a burned imprint of the cross on her on her skin. Yeah, the painful way is dumb way. This is just fucking weird. And the fact that she didn't notice that he was like he did all that because uh, it's not like he did it quickly and that it was smooth. Or also, if like someone that. rips off your fucking jewelry when they're I'd when notice. they're trying to cuddle with you, one, I'd notice, and two, I'd be like, "Hey, motherfucker, that shit's expensive." Right. I mean, like, how about you lift it up over my head instead of just, like, breaking the chain? Now I have to go to a fucking jeweler or get a pair of tweezers and a fucking lamp and a little jeweler's loop, and now I gotta fix that <laughs> shit myself? You got, you got yeah. me some fucking work to deal with. Now Now I gotta go home with this thing in my pocket rather than just putting it on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that whole thing was so strange. He didn't, re- he didn't react to it at all. I hate um, I hate seeing that when in any movie or any TV show when someone rips their necklace off like undo the clasp pick it up over your head how many like when you if you can just pull it off your neck like off not over but off you off, have yeah. broken something yeah that immediately means it has to go get fixed mm-hmm yeah and um I've had. I've had like necklaces and whatever because sometimes I wear neckwear and whatnot, and, and um, that shit it doesn't just come off like that. It just and it actually kind of hurts. Yeah, and if uh, you yank it off, you're gonna, be, <laughs> you're gonna be dropping some links onto the fucking floor. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That was that was something that irked me as well. It was one of those like I raised a brow moments, which you know there are several of that in this movie. Granted, God. but that was definitely one where it was like it's a whole it's a whole. It's like they made a whole point of it when he was the preacher. It's an even more expensive version of just like when you're ripping a woman's shirt like in half to get it off of her. Like, <laughs> yeah. can you, like this woman has to go home. Yes, and she didn't realize that she didn't have, especially given the fact that she was such a woman of faith, right? Uh, so I don't know what I know. You what, th- you think if like oh she loses her faith, it should be her taking it off. To be like, this is yeah. her, like, questioning her faith or letting go of it. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, it's, it's fucking terrible. Yeah, so, that was a moment. Now, that was a moment. Now we can take you to the kill of the week. <laughs> My kill is liberal Barbie getting eaten and her dog just not giving a <laughs> fuck. when she had her mace up and she's like you know i've always been i've always tried to be conscious of of the plights of you know we've always been sympathetic to people like you yeah like yeah we understand your slavery ancestry you're not responsible for that and you know you're just a matter of like the economic depression and he's like oh thank you for being understanding so yeah and then he was like so thankfully then you'll understand this (laughs) (laughs) and I, I just love the fucking dog. Like, that dog punctuated the scene. Like, he, I think that dog was just happy he could finally walk without being yeah. carried. Like, that <laughs> woman carried him. I bet that woman carried him his entire life. 
And when the second he was dropped, he's just like, I can feel the grass on my paw pads. I can yeah, feel the like, wind Why? in my mouth as I run. I'm finally free. Like, you know what? Julius and this dog both finally got to live their best <laughs> lives they because did. of Maximilian. They were the true winners, really, of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, him, Julius they got and to the go dog and live both their got best come-ups. Lives. I could not believe that she was standing around, walk. I mean, uh, standing around, walking around, walking around, carrying her. So this was, what was this, walk or what? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's neither here nor there. But that is that whole scene is actually a moment, especially her her commentary on, I've always tried to understand the, the plights of, you know, of, I can't remember exactly what she said, but yeah, you pretty much nailed it. Um, yeah, neoliberal Barbie getting chomped. That was... Yeah, that was something else. So uh, what's your kill? Um... Regardless of the fact that we had some donut jelly going through the keyhole, I thought that Nikki's death was pretty pretty intense. It did have um, good. It did have good parts to it, like with the flashes and the screaming. It it, it had like a a dreamlike quality to it. It did, and the the thing is that uh, my again referencing this to when I saw it as a kid again yet again another movie that i should not have watched when i was a kid but i remember being so terrorized and terrified by that whole scene right because you know it was that whole um aspect of how she sounds so ridiculous knowing so much better now but like because she just invited this fucking guy in and and that, that that's a whole there's a whole slew of problems with that whole slew of problems with that. but anyways that being said it was what was so terrifying to me about that scene was the fact that she thought that she, you know, obviously Nikki was a character that was very full of life and, and really, you know, was just, you know, a very liberated woman and stuff like that. So the fact that she had, you know, put herself in this position and then, and then she's, then she's being torn apart. I thought that that, psychological aspect of, of it was terrorizing yeah well it's like the whole you know like the whole slasher morality tale like you know that's what you get for being a liberated woman you never know who you're if you're taking if you're taking men home you never know who you're taking home yep i mean for fuck's sake she literally took him off the street yeah you gotta punish women for embracing their sexuality yeah and uh, that was definitely something like because Nikki's character was really wonderful. Oh, I thought I she was for Nikki. as brief as yeah, as brief as she was, uh, she was so her presence. Um, oh my gosh! And in, in fact, I'd like to name the actress. Cindy but, uh, Thank she you. She was Nikki. Uh, she was uh, also Nina on Third Rock from the Sun. Third Rock from the Sun. I used to kind of watch yeah, that. She so was uh, uh, John Lithgow's secretary. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So she got to be like off on the sideline, just shooting off one-liners at like the weird white people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, she 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 was fun, and you know, yeah, she had quite cute. a presence, and yeah, and she and she, I I really wish we could have had more of her, um, but. Uh, I think that also aided in in me, you know, feeling some type of way about her demise and uh, especially the way that it happened. She just wanted to live her life and have fun and she truly tried to get Rita to do the same and, um, you know, so that was a bummer. But yeah, the, that scene 
was horrific. That whole scene was horrific, especially since it was linked to Rita's painting. And then also we later on see her uh, when uh, there's the investigation about her being found, right? Yeah, staged. And she's, uh, yeah, exactly, staged and everything like that. So for me, Nikki's kill was pretty impactful. Yeah. So now we can get to the rating. And I want to give this three and a half rotting ghoul parts out of five. Because... <laughs> You know what? I couldn't give it a higher rating because the movie just didn't feel like Eddie Murphy's movie. It was Angela yeah. Bassett's and Kadeem Hardison's and John Witherspoon's yep. movie with yes! Eddie Murphy in it. Yep, that's true. That's a really good point. And the inconsistent tones. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, you know, visible flaws. But I still had a good time. I could watch it again. Though for everyone else but Murphy. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Which, oh, God, that's such a bummer, eh? Damn. So what's your But no, that's a very good point. I'm going to give my rating. Let's see. Can I be clever with this? I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and give it like uh, a, I'm going to give it a, a four bang bang bangs out of five. You are gonna give it a bam 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 bam. Yeah. Out of five. Yep. That's what I'm gonna give it because you know, uh, for me, um, it was very different to, like personally speaking, right? Um, I just uh, being a black woman and and appreciating a lot of things that you didn't you didn't necessarily get to see all the time it's just i i definitely have that kind of bias there i'll be honest it's just so nice to see especially if you're you know if you're uh if you're black and you and you're a horror fan and everything like that and especially because vampire movies are so heavily associated with with white culture um you know to, to you have to be pale and you have to you know and all these things like that um to, if, in in that respect, it's it felt like th- it was something for us. Um, in a in a obviously in the horror genre and also in a specific subgenre like va- uh, vampire movies and whatever, where you felt where it was nice to feel included. Um, in that, um, especially since vampires are so heavily glamorized and so. Um, so held up on a pedestal, and then when you're when you're somebody that's black and you enjoy vampires and you love vampires and everything like that, and then you have people in the you know in that culture that are saying like you know because it is a thing, you know, unless you're pale and and you you know you wear enough where you you wear things where your pale skin is is highlighted in contrast to the the dark blacks and the reds and stuff like that you feel like you can't be a a part of that for me it was definitely something like you know you can i I guess it's a conversation of representation matters it felt nice to be seen in that sense you know especially rita being um you know uh somebody that is not just smart but she was in a position of authority you know being a a cop and stuff like that um and also being a woman and and so there's some stuff 
personally for me that puts it at a at a four bang bang bangs out of five <laughs> so well we hope that you enjoyed our uh, our coverage of this movie and we hope that you uh, learned a little something and we hope to uh, keep that coming in the uh, the coming weeks we're only uh, we're hitting the halfway mark but uh, boy we got some we we got some uh, black pain powerhouses, uh, a one-two combo. Yeah, the next episode's going to be pretty heavy. To finish this uh, little endeavor with. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm glad we got at least like a bit of a breather for some comedy. Yeah. Because it's going to get a little heavy, but you know. A little. Horror, yeah, horror's, not, uh, horror's not always funny. Mm-mm. But... Uh, we hope that uh, you'll stick with us in spite of that. We'll, we'll, we'll try to have like a little joke here or there, but the subject matter is a little is a little tense. Yeah. But you know what? That's just the way it is. So. And I'm looking forward to it. You know, there's still lots. There's a lot that uh, uh, that can be, you know, in- informative as well uh, through the next uh, segment. So, you know. Hopefully there's some good takeaways that can be uh, given there as well. So I'm looking forward to it for that. Yep, so do I. So until next time, I'm Mike. I'm Mackie. And thank you for joining us for Black History Month on The Graveyard Shift. The Graveyard Shift is a Strange Biscuits production. Visit our website at strangebiscuits.com slash graveyardshift to hear all of our previous episodes. Subscribe to us, rate, and review us on CastBox, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And don't forget to check out our Instagram at The Graveyard Shift Pod, as well as our Facebook at The Graveyard Shift Pod. Our Twitter is GS underscore Horror Pod. And if you wish to support the show financially, visit us at patreon.com slash graveyard. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and get bonus content. The theme for The Graveyard Shift is As Brutal As It Ever Was by Technoaxe. Visit their website at technoaxe.com and their YouTube channel for more royalty-free music. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay spooky. (laughs) And thank you again so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Bye.